Welcome to Sermon Seasonings, the podcast of Christchurch Gladesville, where we look in more depth at the passage that was studied on Sunday. I'm Dave. I'm Seb. And I'm Mandy. Yesterday, we began our series in Genesis 25 to 50. We've called it Wrestling with God because that's what we're going to be doing as we look in depth at God's Word. And yesterday, Seb opened chapter 25 for us and we looked at the God who is a God of grace and mercy, uh, who chooses people not because of what they have done, but because of who he is. And we saw that we need to not be short-sighted, but have a kingdom view of things as we seek to live in this world. Thanks so much for opening God's Word for us, Seb. My pleasure. Well, yes, it's been a a whole term off. It's been actually nice having our Monday mornings uh, free from from having to to do this each time. But it's funny how, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And um, I think most of it we've been looking forward to getting back into it. It's a great Monday tradition. So um, for those who are new to listening to the podcast, what we are all about is trying to um, do that deeper dive to help people think through especially how to exegete the text well, so understand some of the language stuff and genre things that you wouldn't necessarily in the limited time you get on a Sunday to, to really work through, as well as hopefully thinking about sometimes we dig into history, we look about how it intersects with the Old and New Testament, whether it's depending where the passage is from. We like to explore further on the application as well and maybe deal with some of the debates and controversies that are to do with it. So that's kind of, if you're a new listener, that's expected that that's the sort of thing that you're going to get every Monday related to the passage that was there on Sunday. But I thought we might start with a bit of a light sort of thing, and that is we, we saw in Genesis 25, we saw Esau making a seriously bad trade. Now, look, I'm not a vegetarian, um, and so I, I don't think I would give a whole lot for a lentil stew if I even if I was starving to death, but <laughs> but but others would disagree. Apparently, apparently lentil stews can be quite nice. But, but have you ever made a really bad trade? Or maybe have you ever nearly, you know, closely avoided making a, a really bad trade? Mandy, why don't we fire off with you? Uh, so I've got one from first trip overseas. I was in Paris New Year's Eve and it was uh, so early hours in the morning. So my first purchase of the new year and I looked at the prices and I was like, gosh, that's really good. And so I bought this bottle of water and I was priding myself on it. And then I realised that I'd done the... Um, conversion wrong and I'd just paid $16 for a 500 ml bottle of water. That was not a a good trade. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, what about you, Seb? Uh, I make many bad trades. I often shop and pay full dollar rather than waiting for the sales seasons. And I'm notoriously bad at when there is a sale and you're purchasing something online or through an app or something and you have to enter the sale code. I regularly forget even when there is, you know, 20% or 30% off and I go through the wholesale and then realise, oh no, I didn't put the code in. Yeah, I, I was actually going to mention one where I narrowly avoided one, but then I actually thought of one that I did do. And Amanda, my wife, will laugh at this because uh, it was uh, when I bought a carbon fibre bike determined that this was time it was going to be different. This time I'm going to, if I get a nice high-end bike, I'll take up bike riding. It was when I was living out at Minchinbury, so we're right near the M7 bike track. It's going to be great. So I bought that. Um, every time I, I open one of my drawers at home, I'm reminded of the bike gear that I never wear. Um, <laughs> and, I, and so basically when I moved out to, to – and this was like a – an expensive bike but this is me thinking that this was an investment in my long-term health and um but really it was a long-term investment and where do i put this bike (laughs) and g and guilt a long-term investment in guilt of going i really need to take that bike out and then man was saying sell a bike sell a bike sell a bike and after about three or four years i just went right I, i sold the bike and i sold it for weight less than i bought it for so that was kind of um my bad thing so we're going to have a look at 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 the bad trade that Esau made, and as you pointed out to us um, yesterday, Seb, that's really the focus of the passage, isn't it? Well, it's got two foci, doesn't it? It's, it's got the the prophecy at the beginning, um, where, where we're set up to know what this narrative is going to go into, and then we see a big emphasis on Esau just being a, a real a real dud. So what we're going to do is we're going to kick off first of all um, by having a look through, walk through the text and notice some of the observations, reinforce some of the ones we looked at yesterday and and show a couple of other things that um, might be helpful to know. Then we're going to explore um, after that, we're going to be thinking a little bit about the New Testament connections, which also 
deals with the controversy you were mentioning yesterday that this was going to be the podcast, that challenging reference in Romans 9 of, and, and that we see in Genesis 25 of the election of Jacob over Esau before they're even born. So we're going to have a look at that. And then we're going to finish up by reflecting upon having a bit of an application deep dive, just, just pondering how this passage has impacted the three of us and perhaps how it, how it should impact us as we go ahead. So I thought I'd begin with we're, we're moving into the genre of Old Testament narrative uh, and it's worth thinking about what makes a story a story. Mm. Uh, so as we come to Genesis 25, I mentioned yesterday there were two episodes. Uh, so what makes a story a story? As we're reading it, every story has a setting and we meet the characters and that's no different for this one. So in Genesis 25, 20 and 21, Isaac is mentioned as being 40 years old, Rebecca's barren. Um, then what happens is the occasioning incident that happens in verse the end of twenty one b is well well Rebecca gets a, well Isaac gets an answer to a prayer Rebecca conceives every story then has a plot and what's crucial to a plot is that there's some kind of tension or conflict that happens so at the start of verse twenty two we're told that there's this struggle going on inside of Rebecca. These babies Mm. are jostling with each other, crushing, oppressing. Uh, And that leads to the high point in episode one is 22B, where Rebecca inquires of the Lord, why? Why me? Why I? Uh, And the resolution to the conflict in episode one is that the Lord answers that question. Uh, so 23, we're told that the Lord says, and we get the content of he, of the prophetic word back, um, that there are two nations in the womb, that the older will serve the younger. And then in 24, we're kind of heading down where um, we've, we've, we've risen up with the conflict. Now we're getting the resolution. We're on the downward trend. The twins do arrive, 25, verse 25. Uh, the first one's red and called Esau and uh, and the second one, 26A, is the heel grabber, Jacob. And that's the resolution to the first kind of little narrative plot. Um, and we're told 25, verse 26B, sorry, that, it, that Isaac is 60 years old. Uh, that's a conclusion to the first narrative. Then, then we get 27 and 28 are the setting for the next kind of plot that's going to develop. And we're told these twins grow up into adults. And so the second episode, the occasioning incident, verse 29, is that Jacob's cooked up a stew, Esau comes in famished. So that's the beginning of the narrative plot. Uh, The rising tension is his dialogue with Jacob. You know, let me eat the red stuff, verse 30, uh, 31. You know, Jacob's reply, sell the birthright. Um, you know, we're back on Esau 32. Well, what use is it? I'm, I'm about mm. to die. And then 33a, Jacob holds a lot. No, swear to me. Give me this birthright. And so that's the top of the kind of tension in the second episode. Uh, the resolution to that conflict is 33b, Esau does. He swears mm. over his birthright to Jacob. And now we're on a downward trend. So think of kind of a narrative arc. Jacob gives him the stew in 34a, 34b, Esau ate, drank, and then 34c, rose and went away. And the conclusion of the second episode is Esau despised his birthright. It's a very mm. clear conclusion, isn't it, too? Mm. It's, you're not left in any doubt as to what the conclusion is. Now, what we're going to do is, thanks, that's really helpful to get that. We need to understand what we're reading is story, story that is written um, in a way, it's not that because it follows a formula, it's not true. So mm. sometimes that can be the sort of thing, oh, if it's got a structure, you go, every story has a structure. If you're writing a biography of someone, you're doing it using narrative style because because it engages and it's memorable and it and often you're trying, there's an effect that you're wanting to to bring about to reinforce your point. And, and so, yeah, and one of the dangers is, is if we don't recognise the story plot, um, it's very easy with Old Testament narrative especially to end up moralising it. Mm. Yeah. And it actually all just becomes about, well, what do I notice morally about these characters? And we find ourselves defaulting to kind of booing and cheering mm. the hero and the villain. Mm. And, and actually we miss the point when we don't actually see that the narrators put it in a genre and, and he's, he's making a point. Mm. But it's it's in the the um the the medium of a story. Mm. Mm. Just as interesting as you mentioned, hero. Then one thing I was thinking is a, as a ru- helpful rule of thumb when approaching Old Testament narrative, probably New Testament narrative, is there's only ever one absolute capital H hero, yes. mm. and it is always the Lord our God. 
Um, and and if you if you kind of really own that, then even the Old Testament saints or the New Testament mm-hmm. saints who have done wonderful things don't expect, you know, pure as a driven snow. That's mm-hmm. not actually the real world. Um, but but God always does what is right. So there's always you go. There's one one who I know is going to be the hero in this. And everyone else is up for grabs. Yeah. What were you going to so, say, uh, Well, I was just going to say, so should we dig into the text mm, and yeah. then have a have a little bit of a look? And so I'll read the first episode yeah, let's first and remind us of that. Uh, so this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padam Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Great. Now, um, one thing I really found helpful yesterday, Seb, was... Um, you know, when you when you separate as we because we've wanted to work our way slowly through Genesis, uh, we have done it over three years. And one of the things that you miss from separating it is is you ended it at a certain place the previous time, mm. and you're beginning at a new one, and you can suddenly create this huge gulf, mm. uh, a huge gap mm. between the two. But as you helpfully pointed out, what immediately comes before this is the line um, of Ishmael, isn't it? And and, and how. Um, how abundant it was, and and you can't help but noticing. I remember when we thought about last year that, that Ishmael's got twelve sons, mm. which of course, when you know what's coming up, you're going, "Isn't that interesting?" Mm. Right? You can mm. understand it was twelve is the number of th- for people, but Ishmael's got twelve sons, and you go, "That's that's good, good work, mate." I mean, I've got four. I can't imagine <laughs> tripling that. Um, so, so so that this narrative immediately follows after that is sets up a contrast that you could easily miss if you just picked it up at where we looked at. Um, so what are some of the other things that um, we should be paying attention to in the in perhaps in the details of these of these um, verses? Well I think as well just with the context and it's keeping in mind what's the big question that holds together everything? Well the big question for the Jacob story is who will obtain the blessing? Mm. And that's almost why we get the little genealogy about the one who won't mm. and it's short. Uh, and then the long extended version to kind of make the point that no, God's working through this family. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yep. the, the helpful, sorry, I was going to say that the helpful thing that comes from what you bring that up is when, if you take your mind back to when we did 12 to 25, that um, finding out who won't mm. is a much slower process in Genesis 12 to 25. You've got Abraham, he's given this blessing, but he's an old man and he's married to an old woman. Mm. And and so how on earth is this blessing going to be passed on? And then you get Ishmael. Well, first of all, remember we saw that Lot seemed to mm. be the one who was going to be there for a bit. Mm. No, it's not going to be Lot, his nephew. Then it's not going to be Ishmael. And then it is going to be Isaac, miraculous. So, th- so that was the big overarching plots of 12 to 25. This bit kind of resolves that mm. fairly quickly. What were you going to I say? I was also going to notice it's the timing thing here that Seb helped us to see as well, that um, sometimes in Genesis you cover huge slabs um, of time really, really quickly. Yes. And sometimes you slow right down and see every single detail of what's going on. And I think you pointed it out. So the beginning of this narrative in verse 19, um, oh, sorry, in verse 20, Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebecca. The very last sentence in this little section, after the twins have been born, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to them. This little narrative is covering a 20-year duration. Mm. Um, And so it's just a really interesting kind of the narrative technique of the use of time and sometimes speeding things up and sometimes slowing us right down. 
and it, and it'll jump again in before the the next one. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that's helpful about bringing that up is in terms of as being a careful um, reader. That is a that is a deliberate thing in Old Testament narrative. So so um, pay attention when it slows down. Mm. So if you imagine it, it's if you're thinking about we're we're a visual generation. If you're thinking about the the panned back scene, which shows you the 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 big picture, and then the zooming in and the slowing down of the pace says this. It's not that you don't pay attention to the other bit, but it is there to give you a setting bit where it goes slowly is the bit where the writer is saying focus on Mm. this bit so it's a good sort of reading habit to go when does the text slow down well be especially attentive then were you going to say anything else on that just that we're yeah we're not we're not being told everything about the jacob and esau's life or you know there's so much detail left out which then when you're in a, a short narrative, you're really thinking, well, why uh, why is this here? Mm. What contribution does it make? And all the time we're thinking, what contribution does it make to the main agenda of the plot in Genesis? Mm. And the main agenda of the plot in Genesis is Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Uh, so the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so all the time we're paying attention to the land and at the end of the Genesis story, the family is going to be taken out of the land into Egypt and that'll kind of set up the direction for the exodus onwards. Uh, But we're also the big focus ends up being on children. Um, and so, uh, you know, we saw that with Abraham and Isaac, uh, Abraham and Sarah, but then with Isaac and Rebecca and then Jacob, uh, the heart of the narrative is going to be children mm. um, and Jacob's two wives and, and, and who the blessing will flow to. Um, but then there's the third one, the blessing, that the being a blessing to the nation and nations. And at the end of Genesis, we're going to see that with uh, Joseph on the throne in Egypt, blessing the nations with during a time of famine. But interestingly, in Jacob's life, at the beginning of the story, he's the one who is after the blessing. Mm-hmm. And yet fast forward to the end of his life, and there's this little scene where he comes to be reconciled with his son who he thought was dead, and he blesses Pharaoh twice. Mm-hmm. And so we see that actually uh, in this journey of Jacob wrestling with God, he's become a transformed man, one who wanted the blessing his way on his terms and yet finally it's like on the other side he's the one who's able to bless others. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's a couple of interesting details that come in that text. Now, uh, one of the things I, um, I want to sort of draw our attention to is the, is the issue with Rebecca. So we sort of go, oh, okay, so Rebecca was going, oh, gee, the babe, well, my baby's kicking around a lot. Maybe I should, I should ask God about it um, would be a glib way of reading it. Um, again, we, we, we want to be careful about importing our assumptions in. You go, well, it's 20 years, so um, there's no contraception at the time. Um, and so by 20 years of childlessness, you've, you've got a fairly conclusive answer. And then after, as I think you helpfully pointed out, I think probably the repeated pleading, the coming before the Lord, which, which shows that Isaac has, from the word go, kind of gone, this is what you do. You go ask of God. He should know. Mm. He's the product of it. Mm. Uh, and, and the word he uses, it the, the pray in the NIV, mm. it's the entreat word. Yes. And, yeah. and it's the word that Moses uses to intercede for Pharaoh over and over in mm. the Exodus narrative to take away the plagues that are being sent. It's coming before the Lord as the sovereign king, mm. isn't it? It's that mm. kind of idea of coming into the courtroom of of the ruler mm. and, and begging him to act on your mm. behalf. Mm. And so he's doing that about a, a child for Rebecca. And so now you get to the bit where Rebecca, the kids are bumping around in, in, in Rebecca and you sort of think the thing that made me pause is to go to go inquire of Yahweh because your babies are kicking. Mm. Is that, you know, um, 
you know, she was. They would have. They weren't the own. They weren't just a not tiny little nuclear family. You've mm. got to remember this is. You remember the huge entourage that ended up being built around Abraham. That gets passed on to Isaac. Like there is a mat. This is a community of tents. Mm. There would have been um, hired hands all over the place, uh, midwives and all that sort of thing. So, so it's not like oh, what's this baby kicking thing? Mm. You know, as a sort of naive new mother. Mm. No, whatever was going on, and as you emphasised yesterday. This is combat. This is inter-womb combat. Mm. Like they're crushing one another. And so what we understand is, I think we understand from this, is Rebecca, who has not been able to conceive for 20 years, it's so traumatic an experience mm. for her, no doubt probably painful, mm. to, that she's going, what's going on? Why would I? And so, so when you mentioned that, that obscure sort of phrase, mm. uh, if thus for what? What's this <laughs> about me? Why? But her attention is why is this happening to me, and and I think um, that that sort of perhaps it's the desperate cry to God of somebody who thinks am I going to am I going to die now? Mm. Am I going to lose these children having waited for that long? And God says actually it's not about you. Mm. <laughs> it, it's about you've got two children, um, mm. and they're at war. Mm. And, and so it, that interesting thing, yeah. yeah. And as you pointed out, it's kind of it's the and even those two children, it's bigger than these two children. Mm. Yes, like the the way that it's like, well, these two children actually represent two nations, mm. and so there's kind of this whole like Rebecca. Actually, there is a way bigger story going on that you're a part of. Mm. Mm. And the, and he uses two different words to talk about nations. So it's like there's two nations within you. Um, and two peoples. Mm. Now, it's not that we're mm. meant to make a big difference between what a nation is and a people is, but it's a poetic way of emphasising how that we are we are talking about new generations that are, are going to be very very different. They're like two people groups, two mm. two ethnicities. Mm. You, you've and and the the combat within is is symbolic of a of a fundamental parting mm. and 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 a and conflict from the beginning, mm. which mm. which is. Ominous, yeah. isn't it? And I think, that, and just a, a small pastoral aside would be that that God is advancing His agenda in the world and His promises. And yet, if you just consider what it would have been like for Isaac and Rebecca, both all of those years where mm. there is no child, mm. you know, and t- twenty waiting. years, they're, they're waiting. And you know they hear you know get they're getting the they wouldn't get the Christmas cards but the equivalent of from Ishmael about his big family, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um and there's something to be said there about us in our Christian lives as well when we are walking through when we are in a way waiting on the Lord um, not in the same way but there's a sense in which we don't understand the circumstances that we're in that the right response is to be driven mm. to to God in prayer yeah, and to know as well that this story is just showing us that God is still in control mm. and even in a traumatic pregnancy, you know, there's this, there's pain, there's suffering, there's this, uh, you know, and Rebecca does exactly the right mm. thing, turns to the Lord, what is going on, Lord? Yeah. And, um, and he's completely in control. Yeah. yeah, one of the observations that you've made as we've talked about this as well is is that we see there, there is a, there is a progression here. Mm. If if Genesis twelve to twenty five, and I'm again deliberately trying to connect to say, remember mm. last time, mm. so much of it was learning what it means to be Yahweh's person. Mm. Mm. What does it mean for Him to be your God, and for you to be His people and a receiver of His promise? And that's what Abram and Abraham you know, mm. and, and Sarah were learning mm. through those chapters. Mm. And what you seem to see to hear in just this glimpse of, of Isaac and, and Rebecca is that is now their assumption. Mm. Mm. It's it's like, what do we do? We go to we go to our God mm. and mm. we entreat him mm. and yeah. we plead with him, what do I do? This, this, I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to lose these children or mm. that a, or, or that something horrible is going on. I need to go to God. Mm. And and it is um even though we don't get a lot of Isaac and Rebecca, some of the stuff we get from them. Is is like this is the way it's meant to be, but yeah. not all of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think even one of the things that to me stands out in in the Lord's response to Rebecca as He tells her what's going on, He does what our God is want to do, and kind of doesn't tell us what we expect. Mm. Um, you know, you read the, yes. the end yeah. of that prophecy. Um, you know, one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Mm. And you're like. What? Mm. That's that's not the way that it works. Yes. 
Yeah, that's um, right. There's going to be an overturning here. And, um, and, and, you, and I think it's not – we've got to understand this is an overturning that is happening with twins. Mm. So mm. just again, you, you don't get as, as undivisible, mm. indivisible, uh, mm. as twins, right? Mm. You, 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 think, you, you think about the twins you know. Are they wildly different? Um, some of them are if they're, not for, if they're fraternal twins and, and not identical twins. But, but, but often, even then, they're, they're just, uh, you, you know, they're like each other, but but there's this almost emphasis of being in all other extents. You would say they are equal, mm. but there is there even then with twins, one's got to come out first, mm-hmm. and I'm going to flip it, and and they they're going to be fundamentally separated. Um, just a quick, let's move on to them mm. as well. Um, we get that sort of bridging bit in the middle where we're now. Remember when we're reading narrative, how is a character introduced to you for the first time? Right, that's an as important question to ask as readers of the scripture, and so. Um, so you might remember back when we did one Samuel, and you get introduced to Saul, and you're sort of going, "What are we meant to? How is Saul introduced to us?" Well, you remember he's wandering over the hillsides, mm. chasing after donkeys, and um, and on one hand, and and is that it's not a it's not a flattering picture. It's it doesn't make any comment on that. It doesn't say that Saul is. But but again, how is the character introduced? Are you is this person who is perhaps influ- influenced by others and all that sort of stuff is the sort of question you ask. Well, how are Jacob and Esau introduced to us? And we're into Esau's introduced as being basically a ball of hair <laughs> <laughs> and ruddy, mm. ruddy. So so he's probably a um, inverted commas ranger. <laughs> and uh, now, as you pointed out when we were chatting about this earlier, King David. Was only also the other time, yeah. Only, only other, other time, time that the description is made. So the red, it's, ruddy. Um, so it's not that the God is against red hair or anything mm-hmm. else like that. Um, King David had it, but but um, but you've got to think. What does that? Imp- what impression does that give to you? This man is oh, is is covered in hair. Um, just park that because mm-hmm. we're going to in the second half we're going to be looking at Esau. So so um, and then we get um, Jacob and he's grabbing hold of him. Mm. And there's mm-hmm. that's it's an ambiguous phrase, and so even the names like Jacob and Esau mm-hmm. um, mean you know um, hairy and and grasping of the heel, and it's what does grasping of the heel mean? Does it mean trying to trip? Does it mean trying to grab hold of him and what is his and and supplant it? There's you know let the text tell you. Mm-hmm. I think it might be one of those answers, but there's going to be something about the way they're named that will play out in the way they live their lives. Mm. Then 20 years they've grown up. Mm. Um, so how are they described to us there? Um, verses 27 and 28. No, 27. Yep. Oh, and 28. Yep. So. yep. so the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. All right, here's where we're going to do a little bit of our behind-the-language um, commentary. Now, just hearing that description from the NIV, uh, what might your conclusions be about Esau and, and Jacob? Just listening to how the tone is. Any thoughts? Well, just the, I mean, straight away you're you just noticing contrasts, aren't you? That the Esau, Esau's the hunter, he's, the, he's dad's boy, he's... Mm off, you know, getting wild animals in the open country. Jacob's mum's boy, um, he yeah. he likes to stay around the tents. He, you know, that he's yeah. more content. Yeah, he's just, <laughs> it's like, it's like um, you've got a skilled hunter who is a manly man mm. and then you've got mum's boy, Jacob. Would you add anything else? No, I mean, and that's the whole kind of, yeah, it is that weird kind of contrast of mm. the, you know, it's, I mean, I'm just fascinated by Verse 28, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Yeah, yeah. And um, Rebecca's love is just He loves love. what he brought back. Yes, right? yeah. there's, there's no reason that Rebecca <laughs> loves Jacob, given and here. It, and even yeah. at the birth that the twins came out and one is the description is all what he looks like mm. and the other the description is what he did, his yeah. action. Yeah, mm. that's right. Yeah. And so, so now if you're just going off the NIV there, you, you've what have you heard? You've heard... They're really different. Mm. One one person's a kind of a um, go, goes out. One of them stays in. Um, one, one's kind of a butch hunter type and is super skillful and all of that. And all the other one just is. It's almost you might think he's lazy or he's a little bit unadventurous and he's staying home. Now um, you still know enough to know they're really different. Mm. But now we'll have a little bit of a look behind 
and into the into the language as it's written, and it will give you a starker picture. So um, let's have a look at verse twenty-seven first. Um, now I'll I'll read a kind of literalistic translation of it. And so verse twenty-seven says, "And the boys grew up. Uh, Esau was a man knowing game. So." Not just that he had game, but, but yeah, he was no, he knew about game. So you know that that's reasonably translated as, as like he's a hunter. But this is what he knows. He knows hunting and game. Um, and then you get a, a description: a man of field of the field. And uh, so now again, you've got to think: how much do we place on a, a man who knows game? A man of the field. This is almost like he he's a man of this. This is quite a, a, an overarching description of him. This you could you classify. He's a man of the field. Then, in parallel to that, you got Isaac. Uh, sorry, um, and Jacob was a let's just say wholesome man, one dwelling in tents. Mm. So, um, so if one is a man of the field and a man who knows game, the other one is a man who is, as you mentioned um, in your sermon yesterday, is, is that the word is used is tam, and that is a word that, as you told us yesterday, used of Noah. Used of Job, when um, the language that he's content to is making that word an adverb, talking about him dwelling among the tents. But there are actually two separate clauses in the Hebrew. Is 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 there's two things about him that he is a man who is tam, and that he dwells amongst the the tents. Now, that tam word is a word that is also used of of um, uh, unblemished things. Mm. Of of pure things, of worthy things, that it is overwhelmingly a positive description, mm. and so it's not just oh he's a guy that's happy to stay at home. There is something about Jacob in contrast to Esau that actually makes him fairly complete or full or fitting mm. um, for because it's those things, it's things that are tam that can be brought into the presence of God and offered as sacrifices. Right, so there's an inherent cleanness. It's often a word that's words and variations of it that is comes to integrity. Mm. So that just suddenly flips your. It, it's a bit more positive than you might think. Um, and then to say that he dwells amongst the tents, mm. um, the word he's now you brought up showed one of the Hebrew used puns all the time, right? And so you you shared us one bakarah, um, which is inheritance. Mm. Um, and and Berakah. and Berakah, which is blessing, Bekara, right? Berakah, Berakah, Berakah. Now, there's another one here. Is you'd probably heard of the word Elohim, mm. which is the word for God. Well, guess what the word for plural of tense is, um, Eholim. Mm. Exactly the same consonants, mm. um, and just flipped. And and so and the the other thing is that and Abraham is regularly described as a well, identified the as a dweller of the tents, tents. Yeah. yeah, with the mm. with the flocks. So which one of these is more like Abraham? Mm. It's actually Jacob is the one who records. The other thing is when you think of fields, mm. you might be thinking of nice rows of corn or wheat or something like that. But wheat field, as it's described here, is actually talking about outside. Mm. It's talking about the wilds where you go hunting. Mm. It's the place where the beasts are. Mm. Now it can it's also the place be, where Abel was murdered. It's the place where <laughs> Abel was murdered, right? And so if you're thinking civilization and you're thinking fields, like you might if you're thinking about the Midwest of New South Wales, no. Mm. All right? This is the out. And mm. it's often used as a contrast to what is on the inside, to the city, mm. to the tent, to the dwelling, to the temple. Mm. Um, it's to the outside. meditative Jew. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so Esau is a man of the outside, whereas Jacob is the one who is tam and who dwells dwells among the tents, and the tents are the inheritance. Mm. So you think, where are all of the animals? You've got to think how wealthy Abraham was that other kings thought of him as it being an equivalent to them. Mm. That is the inheritance that is passed on to Isaac. Isaac then is is got so these tents is where all of their um, male and female followers are. This is where they 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 move their tents mm. to where all of their animals are kept. This is the place of the inheritance is, mm. is the tents, mm. and so this is who Jacob is a man of, and so it, it's starting to make Jacob is not looking quite. He's not been introduced to us negatively. I think that's mm. the mm. And, and and there is a positive flavor to it. Mm. Esau has not had a good beginning. Um, so it's which is just an example yeah. that 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 we can sometimes put a modern lens on yes, it, yes, and quickly kind of um, 
pan, you know, play out the characters in a particular way that isn't necessarily put in the agenda of the actual scriptures that precede yes. this, mm. that the actual context. Yeah. yeah, so it's one of those things where you say, let the, if you're just letting the text speak mm. rather than us going, we, we, have, we know the Jacob story so we mm. think Jacob's a jerk, mm. um, you go, well, he hasn't been introduced to us as a mm. jerk. Yeah. Mm. Um, he's been introduced to us as someone who kind of belongs mm. where Abraham belonged and where Isaac mm. belonged. And Esau is the one who doesn't. Mm. And what yeah. were you going to say, Mandy? No. Um, yep. But, but you, what you're doing there is you're paying attention to how those words have come up beforehand mm. and letting mm. those words yes. actually shape our meaning. Yes. Mm. And now here's the other thing. So Isaac loved Esau and the word is, is it's, it's abrupt. It says, because of his mouth. Mm. Right? Because of game in his mouth. Mm. So not because he liked the taste of what it is something again, it raises the idea of just <laughs> you're thinking of Homer Simpson or something, but yeah. but that idea of appetites mm. and mm. appetites are going to come out. Which I was going to say is the huge thing because that's what we actually see then as the narrative mm. unfolds. Mm. So once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quickly, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So what do you think? What do you want to draw our attention to there, Seb? Anything in particular? I've got a few. <laughs> yeah, no, you go, Dave. You ready? <laughs> I, I, I love it. Um, again, this is on my. I've, 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 I've got the. Um, well, I think the text has the target out on Esau's back. Okay, so he, here's another thing: is Esau think Neanderthal? Mm. Um, the way he is portrayed in this text, and he will be in next week's one as well, is he's a brute. Mm. Actually, mm. he's a man of his appetites, he's a man who hangs out with the wild animals and acts like one. And so um, so Jacob's doing his thing, he's, he's cooking stew, Esau comes in, and this is what he says, he, he's, he's going, so he's, he comes out so articulate in the NIV, um, uh, he goes, let me gulp down, and the word is, is intrinsically greedy. I want the food, right? And so he's going, let me gulp down the red. Um, so he doesn't mention the word stew, he says, it's obvious that it's stew because that's what Jacob's cooking. We have been told it's stew there. But he just says, let let me, I want to gulp down the red, mm. that red that's right in front of you. And mm. he just calls the red, it red. red. The red, <laughs> red. Um, and that's why he's called Edom, because mm. right? mm. the word Edom means red. Mm. So, so um, again, he's given that name and it is in the, it's especially obvious in the context that this is not a compliment. Mm. Mm. It is, it is pointing to the fact, and I think perhaps in hindsight that that's a, that's a, something that comes from a later calling of him. He now becomes known as Edom because he is the idiot that sold his birthright for some red stew, right? Mm-hmm. That will, He's later known for his foolish act because all he was interested in was the red stuff. Mm. Um, and he happens to be red-headed and so they think, oh, this is, this is pretty pretty good coincidence here. Mm-hmm. Well, might you be called Edom because all you're interested in is the red stuff. Um, um, then I, Jacob... This doesn't make him look good. It's pretty ruthless, um, and you might you might wonder why why suddenly go to the birthright? Why not just go? You know, we know they fought each other. They fought each other from birth. So you might sort of go, "Oh, what are you going to give me for it? I've spent hours doing this." But but to actually go straight to the birthright, sell me your inheritance. That's like a, a pretty big step. Mm. You may want to ask, "Wonder why I might do that?" Mm. Um, but but then Esau's response is, "What use is a birthright to me?" Um, I, I don't, and it's not the birthright; it's a birthright. Mm-hmm. What do I care about a birthright? Just, just give me some food. Um, it, again, you see that idea of dismissiveness. It, it, it does, he doesn't actually care. Um, and he says, "Oh look, I'm on my way to death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, 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 what could I do with a birthright anyway?" Um, Jacob holds the line, and then, um, and then. Esau eats it, and as you pointed out, you get this punchy. How does he feel cut up about it? He's going, man, Jacob's got me over a barrel. He's manipulated me, and I'm so resentful. But I'm I'm literally going to die if I don't eat this. Mm. So what choice do I have? No, no, no. He just it says, says he ate, he drank, he arose, he went, 
and Esau despised his birthright. He's going like, he Casual. didn't think twice mm-hmm. about this. He actually probably didn't like Jacob for doing this and certainly later on we know that he hates him for doing mm-hmm. it. But at the time, he doesn't care. Mm. Yeah, because it's all about that immediate gratification. Exactly. Mm. Like it's the, you have the thing in front of you that I need right now and I don't care what else I've got to give up. Mm. I want that now. Mm. And so as as readers these days, we might go, oh, isn't isn't this about how awful Jacob is to do this? And going, no, that, that the text is not actually that interested in Jacob in mm. here um, or not drawing that much attention to him apart from, the contrast, mm. but Esau is definitely painted out as being someone who who treats the tents, mm. who treats all of the animals around him, who, treat, who treats everything that has come from his father as as not even worth considering compared to just satiating his appetite, mm. and um, and and that there is this lasting and enduring verdict that he is one who despises his birthright. Mm. It is so. It is a a, a stinging condemnation mm. of Esau. So if we, we come away going, oh, doesn't Jacob look bad? You, that, is a, that is an importation mm. um, from future knowledge and from what we might go is fair because let's face it, it is pretty ruthless to say, <laughs> no, you're selling it to me today, do it, or you're not getting the you – know, he, he, he really forces it. And what we know about Jacob is he's a heel grabber. Yep. Th- he wants to supplant his brother, yep. that he will eventually mm-hmm. – but the narrator is actually going to leave that intention. He's, he's going to let the story of Jacob play out and will continue to build up his characterization. Mm. Whereas Esau, actually, the judgment is made quicker. Yes, mm. that's right. Yeah. And so the one question you might go about Jacob here, and you can't answer it, mm. there's, there's, there's no way of knowing. But we know that Rebecca knew. Mm. God had told Rebecca that they were going to flip, mm. that, that, one, that there was going to be Jacob that was going to be the one who. Who rules over um, Esau? One of the questions that you can't know the answer for is: To what extent does Jacob know that? So, mm. in the in the last twenty or so years, or however old it's been, has Rebecca ever told him? Mm. Has Rebecca told the one she's loved about what the Lord said about him? Could that be in the background to why he actually does such a ruthless thing? Um, and the answer is: Having told, having dangled that carrot. You don't know, <laughs> and you can't know. But he's after the blessing, isn't he? He's, I mean, he's and, after him and our really series title, "Wrestling with God." When he wrestles with God, he, he bless me, bless me. You know. And so here's the provocative question: Is it wrong for him to be wanting to do everything he could to get the blessing, especially when you've got somebody who couldn't care less about it? Um, there is, it's ruthless. But there is something about, you know, we were chatting during the week, there, there's this interesting parable that Jesus talks about the treasure that's buried in the field. And it says when the person, now it's a parable, right? Mm. But a man who found out about it went away and sold everything he had and bought the field. What does a man not do? Well, yes, it's reading in science, but he doesn't go and tell the guy why he wants to buy the field because you've got mm. a big fat treasure buried in it. <laughs> He's going, no, I'm keeping that one mum. I'm going to go away and sell everything and buy it because I want that treasure. Mm. And so there is a... Um, I don't want to over-egg this, mm. but but there is a zeal for the inheritance that we should say, actually, does the text say that that's a bad thing? Mm. Um, and, yeah. and it gets us to reflect on yeah. the nation of Israel and yeah. the whole story of the Old Testament. They're, they're this troubled nation and yet at the same time they're, they're favoured by God and they're after the blessing. So we need to move on to the next point. We're just going to deal with the last two uh, more briefly, having had a real good wrestle with that. We want to look at the New Testament connections and then we want to do some thinking about application. Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. And yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Mm. So Romans 9. Mm. Um, so now you brought us to, to that yesterday. Um, what, what are some of the things that you think we need to note there? Well, just in part, it's seeing how how does this contribute to, how does Genesis 25 contribute to what Paul is unpacking at mm. this part of his letter and his argument? And in a sense, he's using it just as an illustration to mm. to make the uh, a point about, as he explains, what does it mean that not all are Israel, spiritually speaking? It, it's not just who you descended from or who your parents are um, that decides the matter. Uh, he goes to twins, 
you know, what better illustration than to make the point that they're both conceived by the same father. They had, they shared the same mother and, and yet before they were even good, before they even had done anything Darth moral. Mm. Mm. Um, and that's, and that's what he uses as a way of uh, answering the objection of fairness. Mm. You know, it has that fear that God chooses one or the other. Well, what a good illustration, twins. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I think that is one of the things that it raises the whole question. I think a lot of us do wrestle with that whole idea and uh, quite a few of the comments that come in, came in on the comment card, there are a few that were um, really delighting in the isn't it great to be reminded of God's mercy and that it's not about what I've done or anything mm. um, there. So sort of one of them like, you know, he's chosen us by grace, not our own works. And we see that in the twins um, there. And it's, it, it is an amazing thing. Mm. But I guess it also raises for some the question of, well, but what do we do with that? Because on the one hand, we see God's mercy and it's beautiful. Mm. And on the other hand, uh, particularly for those of us who come from families uh, that aren't Christian and that have friends that we know and love that don't trust in Jesus, there's also that difficulty of the, but what do we do with that? Because I don't like it. Mm. Um, And it's because when faced with the reality of God's judgment, we don't want anyone that we know and love having to face that judgment. And so the thought that that God actually has a say in whether they'll respond or not can... Yeah, it can be a really hard thing for people to wrestle with. Um, And I think Paul wrestled with I mean, he starts chapter Mm. 10 saying, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved, for I could testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. And then I think he does 11 as well. It's There's a... Where's he... um, speak about wanting to almost switch places with yes. them. Ah, uh, okay. yes. You know, I would rather be cut off. That's right. Which, mm. Is that 10, 11 or 9? Uh, 9. He starts starts the chapter that way. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. And there's a sense in which don't, don't lose Paul's heart for people yes it's not a flippant remark no. he says oh yeah this is just the way it goes mm. toss of the coin you know and um, which, which i think sometimes that that's something to just check yourself this week in growth group or as you have a conversation potentially about election or predestination mm. it's possible to be so heady about it that there is none of the lord's compassion mm. for the lost mm. yeah mm. which the very context as you just pointed out to us of the the thing that t- the spe- that especially really mm. wrestles with the idea of predestination, mm. Romans nine to eleven, mm. is is seeded with anguish and mm. compassion and yet deep conviction and um, even a doxology. So the the very section finishes at the end of chapter eleven mm. with his giving of praise mm. to the unsearchable wisdom of God. And mm. there's this. So a- as we think about how to wrestle with this, there's almost two sides of it. So we were talking about it a bit before and said so there's there's kind of two dimensions. First is is um, by the way, um, plug. We did a podcast on this um, in uh, a couple of years ago. Yes, yeah, so, um, so we'll probably put a link in or a reference to that in the show notes. Um, so where we really wrestled with this as a as an overarching issue for about an hour, um, but we're not going to do that now. Um, but we, we were talking about before. Often it comes out from we've got to really settle because with the idea of sin. So again, mm-hmm. the language is used that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what do we need to get about sin, Seb? Well, yeah, part of where the argument ends up going in Romans 9 verse 30, what then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal? Why not? And, and it's remembering that Paul up to this point, and, and it's going to be great because in term four we'll look at Romans uh, 3 to 8 or, mm. and starting in 1 during the holiday period, but part of the argument in Romans 3 is just driving home. There is no one righteous, mm. not mm. even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Mm. So the story of the Bible is a story of redemption. It's not the story of earning your own way. Mm. And the whole thing mm. has all been about humanity turning things mm. pear-shaped and deserving nothing but annihilation from mm. God, every single one of us. Mm. And and the story of how God, even in just in Israel's own story, that they that that there is a um 
a disclosing of his grace that takes um, the outworking of Scripture to the climax of him actually being the one that makes sinners justified mm. um, by dying for them. You know, that that's, it's actually a story of grasping people from the judgment that is warranted for them mm. is the whole story of the Bible. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we had said this, but there is a sense in which if that's hard to get your head around, that's okay. Mm, that's um, right. In terms of this is the amazing work of the God of the whole universe who is redeeming a people for himself. And if you can't understand all of the intricacies of how that works, that's okay because God's brain is so much bigger than ours mm. and it is so much bigger. And so it's right to kind of wrestle with it and to go, I find this hard. But part of the challenge is to keep going back to his word. Go to him with the wrestle that you've got of going there. I don't quite get how it all fits together, but it's a disposition that actually trusts him in his goodness. Mm. And when you get confused, to look at the cross. Yeah. Mm. Because when I kind of go, I can't fit it all together, what do I come back to? It's, you know, for me, I kind of have that, well, where else have we to go? Mm. Uh, you alone have the words of eternal life. When mm. I look at what Jesus did on the cross mm. and the God who loved me enough that he sent his own son to die for my sins, mm. I go, that's where I've got to sit. Mm. I can have whatever questions in the world, but I come back to that and I work from there forward in anything. Yeah. Mm. That's that's really helpfully put. I think that... that the two aspects of it is, is, is against this, if there's two phrases just to, to have in your head, is fairness equals universal destruction. Mm. <laughs> you want to talk about fairness, just remember that sentence. Fairness equals universal destruction. Mm. It deserves the wrath of God being poured out without any restraint, mm. without any end to it mm. for the breathtakingly evil act mm. of trying to overturn your creator. Mm. And, and someone, yeah. someone told me last night just a quick story about scripture at school where, you know, one of the speakers who previously had worked here as an MTSer, you know, played their lay down the Mazaire card on, you know, let's get help all of these kids to realise that they're sinners as well. And so he said, well, I mean, who of you has never sinned? And he said, Eight of the girls put their hands up. <laughs> None of the boys. <laughs> and then he was making that comment that these girls in their head, they, they, they were obedient. You know, they, they, they're, in a sense, their righteousness mm. was that they were people pleasers and, mm. and did the right thing by their own kind of moral code. And, and it's kind of not until we reach that point where we go, no, we're, we're so unworthy. Mm. Mm. We're so, and in different ways, some, you know, we might lead, need the prodigal story to make that point that some of us are older brothers. We, we've never run away and done the morally licentious kind of, I'm doing yeah. what I want, but, but we're clinging to, mm. I'm a good person. Yeah. I should be accepted. That's mm. right. And, so, and so, as, so if the first sentence is, faithfulness equals universal destruction, and that's warranted mm. and absolutely deserved, um, that, that's actually a, a true picture of sin and even saying it, as somebody who believes mm. it, is it really that? Yes, mm. and that's what that that reinforcement yeah. to go. This is not a game. This this yeah. whole salvation thing is mm. is is not just a a, a salve to s make your life smoother and give it a bit of a, a cushioning. It, it is really a rescue mission from death. Mm. That's the reality of it. It's nothing less than that. But the second side of it, of course, is what Mandy mentioned: is when you go, but. But how can God choose some and not others? What, what do I do with that? There is a faith response, and that is to go, well, there's, the, there's a God who knows and understands how things work so much better than me, but that God sent his son to the cross. Mm -hmm. That God himself paid for my punishment. And so even though the one mm -hmm. that is universally deserved, and, mm -hmm. and so to go there, um, as I wrestle with this, it is reasonable to wrestle with this. This is the world that we know. Mm -hmm. We we It is not unreasonable that we end up comparing ourselves to people around us and we compare other people to the other people around them and, and rank them as well. That is natural and and love means that you wrestle with this. Mm. Um, but then we go, I can trust in the goodness of God because the cross can't happen if God is not good. Mm. Mm. And that is the God who's making the judgments. Mm. Um, and 
Yeah. And I think there's something, I mean, from memory, the question that came in through someone was wrestling with the tension. What about the, you know, can you say more on the human responsibility side? Yeah. yeah. There's something to be said that Paul doesn't land on, great, so God's so in control that he's decided and therefore, you know, that's it. I won't do anything. I'll just continue to write letters and do nothing. No, no Paul is evangelistic. Yeah. Like he's, <laughs> he's out there knocking on doors, traveling around with the gospel, building up, you know, helping to build mm. up God's church. Uh, it drives him to preach the gospel. It drives yeah. him to evangelize. Um, and so there's something... Yeah, yeah. And to the prayer that is, mm. pray that the, the doors might be open for me. Yes. Pray that I may preach the gospel faithfully as I mm. should. Yes. Um, you know, pray, it drives you to prayer and mission. Mm. Mm. And so there's something wrong with the heart that says, oh, that person stopped coming to growth group or church, they must be unelect. Oh, Which, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would, James ends his letter... In verse five, chapter five, nineteen, and says, "My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this: whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins." Mm. There's this, there's this, get out there and and help the backslider, you know, the mm. Christian that's wandering, the the one you can see love, yeah. So, the, the doctrine of election doesn't make us sit back and mm. be passive. No. There's a real human responsibility side on our part to actually That's right. intercede and pursue and love the, in action. God is a missional God mm. and so his people who claim to worship him mm. must be missional people. Mm. And and um but that not not as a as a <laughs> as a merits kind of thing, but to reflect the character of God. So even that very thing that wrestles with how could God say no to some that is a God who has gone to unbelievable extents mm. to be able to to save some. Yeah, he could flick his fingers and just make everyone pure as a driven mm. snow, um, and go. In which case, he's he's traded off his righteousness for for um, because he just well, this is a losing game. I might as well just sell, sell it, mm. <laughs> save everyone. You know, it, it's mm. it's um, it, you know, he. We've also got to think God's got a right to be angry. Yes. Mm. God has a right to judge. Sin was a wicked thing to do. He has um, a right to even raise up Pharaoh mm, for his own purpose mm, to, to bring, yeah, as an mm. instrument of his own judgment being poured out. That, that and that's the mm. the striking thing is that God's so sovereign. Yes. He's mm. so inc- he's so king of the world. Yeah, his yeah. yeah. his right to insist upon holiness and therefore. Um, uh, judge and condemn that which isn't, mm. and so he's that 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 God who has every right to, and you should be cheering him on when he does it, mm. saves billions. Mm. Yeah. So that's some helpful reflections on that first passage we looked at and sort of tackling that big issue of election. Uh, So the second passage uh, that then talks about this is in Hebrews chapter 12. Mm. And so if we look quickly at that as well. Um, So if I read from verse 14, Mm. make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. And of course, this is in the context, isn't it, of of, of not um, despising the Lord's discipline. So, mm-hmm. so that, that the challenge for the readers of Hebrews is to is to go. I need to I need to not give up, mm-hmm. and I not I need to understand that that I'm encountering challenging things because God actually disciplines those He loves, and so I don't just give in. I'm not just I can't and mustn't just give in to the pressure to just conform to the world and to leave Christ behind. And in that context, you see, of course, you, it's very pertinent to bring up mm. Esau, who, mm. who, who just was not interested in, mm. in, in what he had enough to fight for it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I, I mean, uh, yeah. And, and there is, a, I mean, it's interesting 
I almost uh, added that section in from verse 4 onwards as the New Testament reading because mm. it is striking that, that the Father, our Father in heaven disciplines us and does it in love. You know, it's mm. verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Well, that's kind of Jacob's story, mm. that actually his own his own trickery and deceitfulness ends up, you know, we're going to see the end of next week that he's got to flee for his life. And, and get out of there and leave his mother who loves him and, and he'll never see her again. And he's going to be outside the promised land. He's going to be you know, under Laban's trickery as well. And, and he's find, found his match and it's unpleasant. And yet it's this journey of um, being humbled as well mm. and being changed and shaped. And, and But the whole chapter also begins with the race. We yeah. fix our eyes on Jesus. We throw off everything that entangles um, we, we're, we're, he's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And, uh, and the writer, verse 12, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. He's <laughs> yes. giving us these warnings, yeah. but it's for our good. It's because he wants us to come out stronger. Yep. And so you, so you go. So, and it, because to do that, you've actually got to have the end in mind mm. and got to understand how good it is. Mm. Because that's what you see there is that like – Esau just doesn't see mm. the value of his inheritance. He doesn't see the value of his birthright mm. such that the hunger that he is facing in front of him seems worth, like it's worth giving up his birthright to mm. satisfy the immediate. Mm. And so there's this long-term view here, like as we run a race, it's the whole keep the finish line in mind because mm. you don't want to, you know, there's no point in winning the first 50 metres of, of a marathon. Mm. And the reason why Esau is such a great example is because it's not like it's the tragic story of somebody who collapsed in the last 100 metres of the race. He's He, he <laughs> gives up in the first 50. Mm. Yeah. Like he, he just goes, there, there's some lentils. Mm. I'm going to give up the inheritance and the promises of Abraham for some lentils. Mm. And it, it is actually how easy he does it that makes him the example that, that the writer of Hebrews draws up because it, it is the example of absolute contempt. Mm. And so the, the words that are used there, we, we'll, we might park the sexual immoral part mm. um, to, to later. That that might come up in a, in a week or two. But but the but the word there, we're, godless. We're godless. Yeah. Yes. We're just saying, though, that... that, that appetites. When we're, yeah, appetites. And sexual immorality, it is, it's... it's it's blocking God out of the picture when it's temptation comes flesh, up yeah. and it's kind of going, I just want this now mm. and my way or my terms. And, and it, that's alluring. That's what's in front of me. That's what my body wants. So that's mm. what the sinful nature in me wants. Mm. And it's, it leaves God out of the picture. And so just like the, 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 the hunger, the, the um, gluttony almost, mm. um, it, it is, it is just, a, it is an appetite. Mm. It's a greed. Mm. And, um, and, in the story of Esau, mm. he he has an eye for women as well. But but that idea of, of godless is is that I is the word you know when we've spoken about holiness language the language for profane. Mm. So you've got um it, it's it's an irreligiousness. Mm. So what you read about in Genesis twenty five is a great example of what does godlessness mean? That means a dismissal of the things of God, a lack of care for um uh, the things that matter to God. It doesn't rate. Mm. It's it's an absence. Mm. Um, so it's 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 not a it's not God hating. That's a different thing. It's godless. Mm. Mm. It, it's living purely in the material world, which is Sydney in twenty twenty two, isn't it? Mm. Um, and so and to, and to to live in the material, uh, just in the cravings of what's now, and to trade away your inheritance is the, is one of the most foolish and Neanderthal things that you can do, just like Esau. Mm. So we probably better finish it up. So, um, what's what hit home? Um, what, what are you going to take away? And then we'll finish up. So, Seb, just give us a couple of thoughts on what you'll take away, and then Mandy, and then and then we'll wrap up. There's just a little verse that stood out. Uh, is as I contrasted chapter twelve, chapter eleven. There's a, a little hint on Moses in the role, the the faith in action, where. Uh, chapter 11, verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Mm. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Mm. And there's something in that attitude where we're being called to make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without 
the holiness, no one will see the Lord. Mm. It's this treasure Christ above all else. Mm. And in my life, that comes down to, you know, just the, what are the things that help me? What are, what are the uh, things that set my heart on Christ more and treasure, treasure him? Mm. Um, and one of the convicting things was just thinking, well, actually, sometimes I'm just mindlessly watching a TV show <laughs> that goes on and, and there's hours of kind of wasted time that don't sharpen my heart's convictions to mm. eternal realities at all. Mm. And so it's actually just questioning sometimes, well, what, where do I find enjoyment and is it um, – uh, am I sometimes just wasting time mm-hmm. uh, or, or having my my values shaped in a way that are far more worldly than godly? Mm-hmm. And so there's just that. That was one of the takeaway mm-hmm. challenges was actually stay sharp, even though we don't see it, that, that, that actually it's the realities of hell and heaven and eternity that ought to shape the momentary day to day. I'm tired. I've come home from work. What am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it, mine was a similar thing. Thinking perspective. It's pretty funny sitting in a room with the three of us with glasses, and I'm pretty sure we're all short-sighted naturally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm so short-sighted that literally, if I take my glasses off now, I basically have to hold my Bible to my nose to be able to read. And like, I'm so thankful for the glasses that allow me Taste to see, see rightly. <laughs> and there is this sense in which I kind of go the like. My birthright doesn't come to me the same way that it was here, but because I've been included in Christ, Mm. I have the most amazing birthright and the most amazing Mm. inheritance that I am waiting for. Mm. And I want that to be the thing that fills my my sight and my vision and my perspective. Mm. And it feels like it is so easy to let the things of this world become the mountains that get in front of that view mm-hmm. and that I just lose sight of what that is and whether it's the, you know, and sometimes it's the good things of this world, like, you know, as a vegetarian, actually, I'll take the lentil <laughs> stew. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I don't want to take the lentil stew misapplication. <laughs> and lose Jesus no, in, right. in the haste of it. And so just thinking like, you know, and it's often I think it's the good things of this world that I turn into God's. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. the friendships, it's the relationships, and it's the, you know, it's the wanting good family. But am I doing that at the expense mm. of actually gospel family and mm. gospel goodness? And so for me, yeah, don't be short-sighted. Yeah. I think for me, uh, exactly what you guys said, I think the thing that struck out, because I don't think I'd actually noticed it prior to this week, but just um, even though, yeah, we know Jacob is is, is not is a, is ruthless here, but there's almost something about the fact that he's going, I want that, mm-hmm. I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that, and you don't seem to care about it and I'm going to make this work for me. But that just that idea of really clinging to it. I think that the, the other thing was the phrase in Hebrews 12 that says, see to you, see that you don't fall short of the grace of God. And I thought, mm. How's it, if grace is God's kindness that saves <laughs> me, how do I fall short of something that's been given to me? I think it's that idea of, like you read about in Paul, about, about um, uh, be, living your life worthy of the calling that you've received and, and that only let us attain, let us, let us live up to what we have already attained in Philippians. Mm. And that, that idea of we're if you if you're wanting to if I'm not forcing the image too much we're surrounded by the inheritance as as Christians it's all around us and, and just to go this is where I belong and what I'm to live up to mm. and not treat it like it is um, derogueur or something I don't care about mm. um, but actually is is something that is amazing to dwell amongst mm. so um, so that's been us I've been Dave I've been Seb and I've been Mandy. Join us again next week as we dig into Genesis chapter 26 and 27 and see the Jacob and Esau story continue to unfold. <laughs>